Hello, friends. Welcome to the Always Never Right podcast, a podcast with adult ingredients just for Gen Xers who are getting to middle age and are wondering how the fuck that happened. I actually wonder how the fuck it's November, but whatever. Thanks for joining us on the Podfix Network. I'm Jill Farrell. And I'm Gina Biggs. And today's episode is one where Jill and I actually had to discuss how to approach it. Um, I'm going to circle back to this after Jill tells you what we are drinking. And woman, what are we drinking? Tonight's adult beverage is called I'm Your Huckleberry. And it literally has no huckleberry ingredients in it. However, I guess it's huckleberry colored, which would like blue, I guess, is huckleberry color. Because it has blue curacao. It's got gin, your drink of choice, lemon juice, Domaine de Canton, which is like a ginger liqueur. And who doesn't love ginger? Mm. It's got champagne or sparkling wine because we're kind of celebrating. We've got some stuff to celebrate. Um, What do you think about this? Do you like it or no? I like it. And let me tell you what I did to make it so damned likable. Number tell one, me, tell me I'll, what you did. I will. Number tell, one, tell me what you like, what you really, really like. I'll tell you what I like, what I really, really like. I like, I like, I like, I like really, 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 really like this. Boomba chicka pow. Go ahead. Okay. So, uh, and I know that. Spice Girl ZRE. This isn't a spicy drink though. So that, that's why. That's why. Because ginger, ginger was a spice. Yeah, but it's not super gingery. No, it's not, which is a good thing. I mean, not that I don't love ginger, because I do, both Spice Girl and Spice Rack varieties. But anyway, no, what I did. She was my least favorite Spice Girl, actually. Really? She was a little overrated. Scary Spice was my favorite one. I thought she was the hottest one. Oh, scary. Damn straight. But I wanted Ginger's hair. Okay. Okay. Anyway, this actually feeds into later, but let's talk about the cocktail. Okay, so I'm going to go first because I have the unsophisticated palate and I'm going to approach this from the um, lowest lowest chronometer. Lowest chronometer. That's a cool word. I made it up. Thank you. I'm very proud of it right now. I did that on purpose. (laughs) I'm coming at it from the lowest common denominator perspective, um, which is what I like. I like it lots. So I... (laughs) So gin, I used my, oh, of course, I used truly floral blue gin because I just thought the floral tones would come through really nice with that. And it's not super juniper-y, which is good. Um, I actually, uh, okay, so I used the same um, domain, what you said. Thank you. I did that. What didn't the things? Um, and I actually, um, okay, De Kuiper's Blue Curacao, because it's what That's I can find. That's the only one that there is, right? I can't even find a different one. Maybe Would you, it's like, gotta be fancy or something. It must be. I have actually found dry Curacao, which we'll have to work into it up. And I know a little bit about that, and I can go into that if you want. In a moment? Let's do. Okay, do I have a pen? Because I really suck at keeping notes, but I want to. I want to come back to that. Yes, I do have a pen. Okay, blue, dry curacao. We're gonna come back to that when it's time for really educated. Okay. Um, that assumes I can read my handwriting. Anyway, and I did legitimately 
squeeze my own lemon juice tonight. And actually, I always cut, because squeezing your own juice legit makes a huge difference. Yeah, and you're a primo juice squeezer. I, I am. You are. I did tonight. I cut up too many lemons because obviously I have no idea how to do that. But it was very nice. And for sparkling wine, I I was afraid with the curacao and everything else, it might get a little bit on the sweet side. So I got the Mum Napa um, Brut Prestige, um, which you can usually find in grocery stores because that's where I was when I got it. Um, and it was really good. And I think it's it's just dry enough. It's just sweet enough. And it's really fucking heavenly. And I am getting a lot of floral notes because of the truly floral gin. And um, I'm I'm having a yummy time. That's where I am. But you talk to the sophisticated palate that we can all actually <laughs> learn from. Well, I made mine. I also used Mom Napa, but I used the regular cuvee. Uh, and I use Dick Hyper's Blue Curacao because they can't find anything else. <laughs> uh, fresh squeezed lemon juice. But I literally always use fresh squeezed juice in whatever we drink. Fresh squeezed lime juice is so many million times better than like even, even the lime juice that you get that says it's 100% lime juice, not from concentrate, and it's in a bottle. The difference between that lime juice and actual fresh squeezed lime juice is light years. Mm. it's worth the extra effort. Like I now know what I'm getting you for Christmas. <laughs> a lime tree, a lemon tree. I'm I have a squeeze. Don't be an idiot. Okay. So, uh, um, I'm really good at that. Are you? No, I'm not. I, I suck at, I'm you not, I, no, I'm smart. Damn it. And people like me. No, you are smart, but you're terrible at guessing games. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I use the McQueen and the Violet Fog gin. And one of the things I really like that, first of all, this is a Brazilian gin, which is really unusual. And one of the things I like about it is that a lot of the different botanicals that they have are botanicals that aren't usually found in gin. Like they have um, basil and rosemary and fennel seed and calamansi and star anise and acai um so the flavors in it are very very complex but they're not as like juniper forward and i find it velvety i i i think that's true i find it to be very um it's got a more subtle taste but i think that the flavors really enhance so many different other spirits cool very cool okay so how do you think it blends with all the other ingredients well i actually think it's the shit it's amazing (laughs) (laughs) wait no i'm the basic bitch not you i think this is really good um i wish it wasn't so blue like i thought it was gonna be not quite as blue i thought it was gonna be like a little bit more purpley and i wondered if like i thought about it after i made it and i'm like what if i use like the empress gin you know, the oh. Empress 1908, that gin would have been beautiful with this and add the blue to the purple would have been a beautiful huckleberry color. And I'm like, oh, that would have been so much better. Oh. Because I think the blue carousel comes across as such a 
kind of fakey color. Yeah, I I got to admit, part of me, and just because I watch um, on YouTube, and John the Brit actually encourages this, which is kind of amazing. He finds him entertaining, too. We watch How to Drink on YouTube. Uh-huh. And one which is thing... Weird that he watches that, because he's drank never, as far as I know. I, apparently, he drank once in Greece when he was 18. But anyway. That's like stick. He drank once, and he was like, I don't like this. And so he stopped. <laughs> that's like no wait no I don't want to I don't want to draw comparisons anyway when he does drinks that he wants to color blue he uses something called butterfly pea flower yes there's a powder of that you can actually get yeah I got the actual buds because I want to do some experimenting because I keep thinking I know how to do that shit you can make a tea (laughs) but you could actually brew a gin or you could do your gin um infusions with that 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 cool gin infusion kit i got for my birthday from someone who's baller your best friend i think it was her noise well i was gonna tell you about blue curacao yes yes there are several different kinds of curacao the the very beginning of it basically the idea behind it is it's a liqueur flavored with the dried peel of that bitter of a bitter orange called lahara or laraha it's a bitter orange um but it's grown on the dutch island of curacao oh right makes sense right that's a much shorter story than i expected it's it's also (laughs) called like the laraha is also called the seville orange so, um, but it's got a really, really nice smell. So people would like it for the scent. And um, once they started to make it into like booze, there was like this one family, literally like one family made this forever. Was her name to Kuiper? Uh-uh. <laughs> <laughs> it was actually something else. I don't remember what it was. It was... Um, I had to ask. Maybe bowl, ball, like B-O-L. Like I've seen that one too. Oh. But I always felt like that was the off brand. But now I'm wondering if that's not the, like the original brand. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, there are several kinds of blue carousel. Um, and there's also just regular carousel. And there was dry carousel. Um, so what's the difference between blue carousel and dry carousel? Uh, it's not blue. <laughs> okay, good to know. Besides not being blue, <laughs> uh-huh. uh, the blue is actually it's usually like a lower alcohol version. Uh, the dry curacao, like blue curacao, you could substitute for triple sack, except it's going to have like a big change on the color. Like you would put it in with a margarita or something, you know, make your margarita blue. But um, the dry curacao can almost be, it's, it's based on brandy. Dry really? It's like a brandy-based booze that has the it's brandy with the steeped in oranges. Ooh. So it's we, what, we need to find a drink that involves that. Let's do that. Okay. Sometime later this this winter, because I think that would be a good wintery drink, something brandy orange. Yeah. Oh. And I actually own some right now because I bought it because of how to drink. And you damn it. Dry carousel? Yes. Go you. I know. Every once in a while. Not very often. Every once in a while. I'm a little ahead of the curve. 
I'll think of something and maybe it can have something like that and something creamy and something spicy. Okay. That would be nice. That does sound delicious. Anyhow, so that's the main difference. Okay, interesting. So how do you, you know, I've got to try this with um, McQueen and the Violet Fog, which I always want to say Velvet Fog because of the velvety flavor. I know. But Violet. Violet. So how are you finding all the flavor mixes? And I need a new chair. John the Brit. I think it's gorgeous. I think it's really luscious and round. Nice. What does round flavor mean, by the way? Just curious. To me, round flavor means that like when you have it in your mouth, you can taste all of the kind of edges of it. Like you put it in your mouth and it doesn't have any harsh tastes. It doesn't have any. um, It's not burny. You know, it doesn't burn at all. It's not harsh. It's not um, assertive. It's just soft and, I don't know, round. It just tastes round in your mouth. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. I mean, imagine something round feels in your mouth, like one of those little boba tea things. How does that feel in your mouth? Now, change that into a taste, and that's round. Okay. Interesting. I'll admit, I'm flummoxed by that entire definition, but... We'll just move on and pretend I know what you're talking about. Cool, man. Because I... (laughs) Thank you. Because I just round... I mean, granted, this tastes somewhat sharp to me. And probably a lot of it, it's kind of a little bit like... Well, because I think I may have gotten a little bit too much lemon juice in it. So it's a little bit like sucking on a Pop-Tart. Not a Pop-Tart. Sucking on a um, sweet tart, but in a good way. Or a sour candy but in a good way. Um, I'm going to shut up now. All right. Round to me indicates chocolate. That's where I was going to go with that and got myself sidetracked. All right. That makes right. sense to me. Well, cool. I'm going to move on now because I want to quit embarrassing myself. So back to our thoughts on the episode. Um, with a cocktail called I'm Your Huckleberry, of course, After I thought about the Jamie Kurt Russell in the movie Tombstone, I began thinking about the etymology of that phrase because those both both those statements show how much of a geek I am. (laughs) Um, And I thought we could share some cool trivia and thoughts about huckleberries. So Jill thought that maybe instead of just sharing that, um, (laughs) sharing because that's a little so, bit of a narrow focus. <laughs> yes, please do. Because, yeah. Basically, what we're saying is Gina was like, let's talk about Huckleberry trivia. And I'm like, you know what? Let's talk about, like, I'm your Huckleberry and talk about friendship and how to be, like, the man for the job. And you can count on me and all that stuff. Okay. So, so let's do a little bit of both. What do you think? Okay. And first, Huckleberry trivia. What the huck? I've never had a huckleberry. Have you? I think I have. I think I have. And I think they kind of taste like mulberries. Like mulberries. Really? Like the mulberry bush. But I think they're shaped like a blueberry, but I think the flavor is like a mulberry. Okay. This is why I find that kind of hilarious. When I was 
in sixth grade, I did this huge report on Mark Twain, a.k.a. Samuel Clemens, because I want to sound like I know that okay. no one else in the world does, even though everyone sure. in the fucking world knows that. I, of course, I'll pretend like I did it. Oh, you're lovely. Thank you. Um, I was a huge Mark Twain what? fan. That's his real name? You can't be kidding me. I'm not kidding. Samuel Clemens. Who would have thought? He sounds like a baseball player, doesn't he? Doesn't sound, it does. doesn't sound at all like an author like named Mark Twain. I know, right? Which came from Mark Twain, when, which is a measurement. And the ropes, yep. Yeah. Okay. Fuck you. Thank you for... I mean, sorry, what? It's a what? It's a measurement. It's a measurement. Yes. Oh my God, you're so smart. He used to work on riverboats and he would hear them yell that all the time. So he took it as his nom de plume. And thank you for fucking humoring me. Well, that was cute that you said nom de plume. I try real hard. I fail a lot, but I try. So I liked it. One thing, though, and I looked this up to confirm it today, so I'm like, am I remembering this right? Because I wrote this huge paper about Mark Twain in sixth grade. And I'm like, am I remembering this correctly? And I looked it up, and yes, I am, in fact, remembering it correctly. Because for whatever reason, Mom and Dad had this really wild-ass version of the encyclopedia that had all kinds of shit in it that no no other encyclopedia in our area had in it. So I always had these great quotes and these weird facts. What kind of encyclopedia was it? (laughs) It was just a plain old encyclopedia. I I can't remember the... it wasn't like Encyclopedia Britannica and mom and dad quit. Like Encyclopedia like, of Death or something? Well, no, it was like an Encyclopedia series. Um, <laughs> but, you know, like Encyclopedia Britannica. Sure. But mom and dad quit updating it somewhere around 1965. But that's neither here nor there. Um, but I had stuff like this really great quote about conservation by Theodore Roosevelt in it and stuff like that. And one other thing it had in it that I used in my paper of Mark Twain um, was how he came up with the name Huckleberry from Huckleberry Finn. Okay. And I went and said, am I remembering this right? Because every once in a while I'm like, yeah, you know, when I was... 11 years old, who knows what the fuck I was thinking. So I wanted to check. And that was a long ass time ago. And I remembered correctly. So when he was trying to name Huckleberry Finn, he had one name he wanted to use, but the name was too close to the name Mulberry Sellers or something like that. And he wanted to avoid a libel suit because it was the same name as like an actual person or something. Okay. So he changed the name to Huckleberry Finn, and he doesn't give a lot of detail on why he settled on Huckleberry, but he did like the way Huck rolled off the tongue, and Huckleberry was actually a phrase during that time period. So that's right. how it ended. Huckleberry thing. I know. Which, so that's how Huck Finn um, came into Mark Twain. And, okay, so... You you brought that up. Do you want to discuss I'm your Huckleberry? Um, sure. I'll talk about that a little bit. So one of the things that I know about I'm your Huckleberry is that back in the Old West, um, the idea of I'm your, I'm your Huckleberry kind of meant like, I'm your man. I'll take care of that for you. Or I'm the guy for the task. But in a long... In a, in a lot of ways, it kind of got to be like, you can count on me. 
I'm your huckleberry. I'm the guy you can, I'm the person that'll do that for you. And in many ways, it became kind of a symbol of friendships. So when I started thinking about what we would do for this episode, I started thinking about friendships and how we could do like a friendship episode and talk about friendships throughout history and friendships who were um, integral parts of our world. And it, I actually thought about Literally, I thought about Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn because from a literature perspective, they were people who, they were friends who were basically part of all of our childhood, right? Everybody knows Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn. We all know that story and the, the friendship that they had. And I think that that's kind of, part of our shared history if you think about it pretty much anybody you meet or at least any American and I and I know that that sounds kind of limited and I'm sure that there are people in other countries but in in the United States anyway it's almost required reading in pretty much any school I've ever known about that at some point during your school years you're going to read Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn those are that's just part of the world The Adventures of Tom Sawyer. Um, Huckleberry Finn was banned in some schools. Uh, That's true. Because we're backwards and um, Americans think that talking about anything that's controversial in any way, shape, or form, like slavery, is a bad thing. Well, what always confounded me was that the name of one of the characters in The Adventures of Tom Sawyer was totally okay, but the name of another character in Huckleberry Finn was what got it banned. Which, and two, I'm like, which characters are you talking about? Engine Joe. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I'm not going to say the other, because I'm oh. too white to say it. That's Sorry. true. I'm, I'm practically fucking transparent. I do yeah. not have any right to say that. So, but... I, so I get why the one, but I'm like, well, it's called Jim. Bat- Jim, Jim. But I'm like, isn't Engine Joe also somewhat? Isn't that really, really racist? Yeah, but there we go. But I was allowed to read one, but not the other. I had to go to the public library to get the other. Well, we had both books in my home because, you know, my parents were both teachers and then my dad was a librarian and my mom was not a librarian but she was a librarian for a while before my dad was a librarian so you know that kind of thing so mm. um my dad uh my parents well I've talked about their views on how uh, the stupidity of racism many times but I digress I was <laughs> well tell me some more of your um Tell me some more of your uh, Huckleberry trivia. Okay. So one thing I found was very interesting, and this is from um, VictoriaWilcoxBooks.com. And I thought this article was really interesting. It talks about, um, you know, Doc Holliday's catchphrase, I'm your Huckleberry in Tombstone, because Kurt Russell is fucking dreamy. Okay. There I go. Um, (laughs) 
bite me. So they, but he uses that phrase a lot in there. And apparently they're in the, on this website, they talk about the, the origin of um, the phrase in general. And part of it originally comes from, there used to be a phrase called a huckleberry over my persimmon, which generally meant a bit beyond my abilities. So if I were, because you know what kind of attorney I am, if I tried to claim to be a medical malpractice attorney, there we go. I just narrowed down my. (laughs) Well, now everybody knows you don't do malpractice. So there you go. Medical malpractice. um, But yeah, so that would be a huckleberry over my persimmon. But if you said, I'm your huckleberry, you know, that meant I'm the right person for the given job. So um, in your case, what's that? You need an unsophisticated sidekick. I'm your huckleberry. (laughs) There you go. So that is actually the origin of that phrase. But I also saw something and damn it, I apparently have lost the article in the meantime. But I also read something about um, I'm your huckleberry not only that background, but another background being um, a type of wood for a casket. So with Doc Holliday saying that to John Ringo was, if things go tits up, I'm your huckleberry. I'll be your casket bearer. Okay. Which well, that's crazy. Very practical, um, but kind of terrifying. Oh, yeah. Here. Oh, here it is. I found it. Um so, uh, never mind. Anyway, but that's basically it. So, um, yeah, so the, I guess the type of wood in a casket. So there you go. Well, in the same, in the same vein of being completely random and sort of going back to a previous topic when, where we talked about, what was his name? Samuel Clemens. Yes. Um, I'm familiar with the gentleman. So when we were talking about friendships, you want to know somebody who Samuel Clemens was actually really good friends with? I've had just enough of this drink. I cannot come up with it. So please do tell me. I know it wasn't Haley. (laughs) (laughs) It was Helen Keller. Whoa. I know you didn't see that one coming. (laughs) Helen Keller bad that's so bad you and I were kind of talking about like strong women because we've had some pretty amazing things happening this week this is the we're actually recording this during inauguration like not inauguration week during election week and this is the day after um the president-elect was announced so uh we've been kind of talking about like female empowerment and stuff like that. Cause you know, we're not really interested in that sort of thing, but it sort of came up a couple times. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so Helen Keller got invited when she was about like 14, she got invited to visit this author um, named uh, Lawrence Hutton mm-hmm. and Mark Twain and his friend, another author, William Dean Howells, happened to be there and Twain was like in his fifties, but he and Helen Keller kind of started to talk and like really hit it off and got to be friends, like actual friends, not creepy friends, actual friends. 
And when she was 22 and published her autobiography, Mark Twain wrote her a letter and told her how much he loved it. And they kind of continued to stay in contact over the years and actually developed a very important friendship that continued until he passed. Okay, that's really cool. And somehow I missed that when I wrote my paper. Fuck. She was kind of really good at networking. Like (laughs) she, she was, I mean, she was buddies. She was actually really good friends with Alexander Graham Bell as well. What the fuck? Yeah. So Alexander Graham Bell, Samuel Clemens. Clemens. (laughs) I said Clemens. Okay. I heard Clemens. Is it all me? Am I really having too much of the strength right now? Alexander Graham Bell, Samuel Clemens. Maybe I just didn't enunciate well enough. (laughs) Thank you. I thought that was pretty cool. That is very, very cool. And quick shout out to the late, great Anne Bancroft, who played Anne Sullivan in the movie. Amazingly well. Oh, amazingly well. Anne was married during her lifetime the to the incomparable Mel Brooks. <laughs> okay, I went a long way around that was, on that. That was pretty far away from anything. I don't care. It's all relevant in my little pathetic okay. little world. Right out. There we go. Um, why don't you give us some Huckleberry trivia? Okay, so I bet a lot of us know the phrase, my Huckleberry friend. Yes. From the song. My Huckleberry friend. Moon River. River wider than a mile. Love that song. Crossing you in style someday. Okay, you could probably do better if I had started higher. (laughs) Maybe that's okay. Moon River. Okay, stop. No, I'm done. Anyway, so point being, we don't want to do singing two episodes in a row, but um, Huckleberry Friend is a lyric in there, so... What I thought was very cool. So Moon River, the tune was written by Henry Mancini, who's one of my favorites. And if you do not have the Mancini Christmas album, you fucking need to have it because it's phenomenal. Henry Mancini was amazing. Oh, my God. Baby, Baby Elephant Walk, Pink Panther. Holy shit. Brilliant. So anyway, all the things. But Johnny Mercer is the name of... The man who wrote the lyrics to that song from the great movie Breakfast and yes. Tiffany's. So I didn't know that. I have two things about that song. And hopefully I remember what they both are. First, <laughs> I, I remember them both now. I can't guarantee you all in five minutes. Okay, ready to go. Thank you. Um, the first one is that um, Johnny Mercer, when he wrote the lyrics for that song, um, which is sung by Holly Golightly, played by Audrey Hepburn, again, stellar fucking amazingness. Um, the expression Huckleberry Friend was actually because Johnny Mercer grew up in Savannah, Georgia, and there was a river that ran near his family's summer home, you know, as we all have a summer home. Um <laughs> But whatever. Um, 
he the, the river that ran by there was the Vernon River, which is not a very lyrical name. So he pulled from the region and found the name Moon River. But he used to pick huckleberries with his cousin on the banks of the Vernon River. And when he was doing this, he dreamed of a future life on how he would leave his home and leave the river. Uh, but no matter how far he got from the river, he would always remember it. So, and he did eventually leave that life for sh- living in showbiz in New York and Hollywood. But he still remembered that time picking the Huckleberry Friends. So it's kind of a bittersweet thing. That's so factual. Picking Huckleberry Friends. It like was about picking Huckleberries. My friend who I picked Huckleberries with. Yeah. And and it was very specifically about the Huckleberries. So the other point I wanted to mention was apparently when they were filming the movie Breakfast at Tiffany's, they debated whether or not to cut that song from the film. And Audrey Hepburn threw an absolute shit fit and apparently spewed a bunch of four-letter words at him. And they were like, okay, okay, and back we'll down do and left it in. Because Audrey Hepburn, another baller. She's a baller. Oh, she my gosh. She through the Nazis and, like, was kind of like a spy or something, I seem to recall. I know. I was just trying to look that up because I tried to remember. I know she was in hiding for quite a while. And they always talk about her being one of the few first, um, quote unquote, waifs. Yeah. And they say that part of it was because of her malnourishment during World War II. Yeah, she was malnourished and something happened to like her metabolism because of that. And like, doesn't matter how much she ate, she couldn't like ever gain weight. And I'm like, sucks to be you. I know. <laughs> So but she also was a huge ambassador for UNICEF. Yeah, she was amazing. Just oh my gosh. She, she seemed was a, very uh, like an honestly legitimately kind person who actually cared about others. Yeah. She was one of the first celebrities I actually cried when they died. Her and Jim Henson and Gilda Radner were the first three I remember crying for. Gilda Radner, um I I remember for sure crying when Mr. Rogers died. Oh my gosh, yes. I I, I legit, like, had to take a moment type of thing. It wasn't just, like, a couple of tears. I really cried when he died. So, yeah. back to friendships. Yes. <laughs> um, do you want a literary friendship or a historical friendship? Oh, a little bit from column A, a little bit from column B. Let's start with literary and then move to historical. Well, one of the literary friendships that has to go down in history as being one of the most amazing literary friendships ever, Sherlock Holmes, John Watson. Oh my gosh, yes. Hands down. How can you not? Because, I mean, John Watson was Holmes's huckleberry every time. He was. Every time. And by the same token, I'm going to throw in Frodo and Sam. (gasps) Oh, I cannot carry the ring, but I can carry you. Yep. Frodo and Sam. And did you read a separate piece by John Knowles? I did, but it has been literal decades. Well, Gene and Finney in that where, you know, 
that was one of those books that actually changed me as a person. Oh. So if you haven't read it before, if for listeners who have not read that book, that's one of those books that's it's not a kid's book. It's more like an it's more like an like a teenager book, but that's one of those books that literally will change your life. It will change who you are as a person. I I truly believe that. A separate piece by John Knowles. Gene and Finney are, let's just say they're goals. No, that makes sense. I I used to feel the same way about um, Anne Shirley and Diana Barry. Yes, I was actually, they were on my list. Oh my gosh. Yeah, they're on my list. Anna Green Gables. I mean, you can't go wrong with that, right? Oh, I know. Oh, I love that series so much. And the book series, I read the entire series in one summer. It was the same summer. And of course, it doesn't matter how horrible or what we think of the authors always. Um, Ron, Harry, and Hermione. You You can't deny that friendship. That is true. And that was a very, I mean, that was a legitimate three person friendship too, which is cool. And what about Nancy Drew, George Fain, and Bess Marvin? Really fucking amazing. And I have to give a quick shout out for the CW series, which has had a pretty cool series of it. Oh, yeah. There's there's a TV series. Okay. A Nancy Drew series? A Nancy Drew TV series. And it, it now I know you're a Nancy Drew diehard. I'm a purist. Yeah. Well, if you're a purist, it might be like... Uh, it might be like me getting irritated about some things that... Um, some of the Dune books. And as much as I loved David Lynch's Dune, it skewed from the book a few times and relied a little too heavy on narration. But I swear to heavens, the TV series, I debated whether or not to tell you about it because it's so fucking good, but it's also not true to the books because, like, George, one of my favorite characters, is a very caustic Asian woman. Wait, what? Yeah, but she's amazing and caustic. I get, but Asian isn't appropriate because she's like her cousin. Well, yeah, but in the book, she's not. I mean, in the TV series, she's not. Okay, but it's a really good series, and I have enjoyed the living shit out of it. Anyway, so, I digress. from some historical perspectives. Yes, move to that next, please. Now that I've right. shaken your world to the core. I've shaken my world and I'm not really sure I'm going to recover. It's worth it, though. Not kidding. It's okay. it's actually good. But it's kind of like when I watched Riverdale for the first time and went, that's not Archie. That's not Reggie. That's well, not what the hell. And then I'm Betty like, I'm Veronica like, were on my list of people like on not actual people like on my list of like literary people because I always thought they were great friends but Archie got in the way and that was dumb that was dumb because you know poor mistress duh so did you know that Ella Fitzgerald and Marilyn Monroe were excellent friends 
I, you know, I knew that Marilyn was a big Ella advocate. Yes. I didn't realize a lot of the friendship component, and that's really fucking awesome. She was partially res- El- Marilyn was partially responsible for Ella's career. She took off. Ella's career took off after she performed at the Macombo nightclub, but she wouldn't have booked it if it wasn't for Marilyn. The owner oh. didn't want to book it because you know Ella was black, and Marilyn was like, uh, "TikTok motherfucker, this chick is amazeballs," oh. and she told him. If you book her, I will sit in the front row. And because of that, Ella booked it. And it drew a ton of press. And bam, big time career. Can you imagine how different the world would be if Marilyn Monroe were still more around through her entire natural life? Yeah. It's, I mean, like, what would have happened? I know. Wow. Okay. Um, Anyway. But awesome. I did not know that, but that's fucking amazing. Do you have any other, do you have any other, um, Huckleberry trivia for me? Um, I think the only other thing I had was I urban dictionary. Cause <laughs> <laughs> it defines can't Huck- be good. No, it's, it's actually not dirty for a change. Um, but Huckleberry friend, I thought was, it was very interesting how it defined it because it defined it as, um, evoking someone with whom one has a carefree, innocent, hopeful, gentle friendship. Um, and I'm like, you know what, that, that ties right into your Mr. Rogers portion earlier. True. So there we go. And I will leave it pretty much at that because I suck. So <laughs> you're familiar with Samuel Beckett, the playwright? Oh, yes. Yeah. Because I'm pretty sure that our buddy played by Scott Bakula was named after him. Just saying. I think you're right. Yeah. Uh, do you know who one of literally one of his best friends was as he got older? I do not. Please enlighten me. Andre the Giant. What the actual Fuck. What? Yep. So Beckett moved to France and had this dude help him build his house and they became friends. And the dude that helped him build his house said, I'm having a hard time getting my kid to school. And the kid was already like six feet tall, weighed 250 pounds. Beckett's like, let me see what I can do. And he had a truck that was big enough to fit the kid and offered to drive him to school. And they sort of became friends. And over time, the kid and Beckett got to talk because they would drive to school every day and they became friends. And so Samuel Beckett, the playwright, and Andre the Giant, the kid who became Andre the Giant, actually got to be very, very good friends. That Andre is actually weird. looked at Samuel Beckett as a second father. Oh my gosh, that's fucking brilliant. And I really enjoy that. Have you read Carrie L's book about making Princess Bride called As nope. You Wish? Nope. Okay, so I am... John the Brit bought it for me because he's brilliant. And um, I've been... <laughs> Going through part of it, and there is a section in it 
um, where Carrie Ells relates this um, anecdote about Andre the Giant, like, drinking so much i'm trying to i'm trying to look up a little bit of info here ah here we go he drank so much that he passed out in the lobby of a hotel and um they couldn't move him of course like how are you gonna do that like i know he came by the name honestly so they they had to read the picture of like his hand with like an actual bottle, like a can of beer in it or something. And like his hand and like the can of beer, like barely cu- comes up to his fingers. I know it's insane. So they, they apparently just had people walk around him in the hotel lobby because they couldn't move him. And yeah. apparently that night he drank a 119, 12 ounce bottles of beer in six hours. Well, he would almost have to because he was so freaking big. I know, right? Oh, my gosh. I, Andre the Giant, because I was a Cindy Lauper fan in the 80s, I adored fucking Andre the oh, Giant. Oh, yeah. So, anyway. Um, there we go. And, by the way, so, you know, there's a, um, on, uh, what's it, Thrillist? 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 I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thrillist.com, they actually have, um, because I just Googled it for shits and giggles, they actually have an article called um, Andre the Giant's Amazing Feats of Drinking. I'm sure there's a lot. Holy shit, he once rang out a $40,000 bar tab. I am not surprised. Oh, and he drank up. Good stuff. Yeah. Anyway, look it up. He's fascinating, and God bless you, Andre. <sighs> so, I have, we've got time for one more friendship. Do you want okay. a an aww, or do you want a what the fuck? Oh, okay, we got to make time for both. And I'll shut up about my other stuff, because I got to hear, uh, let's start with what's what your the- other stuff. What do you have? No, I have no other stuff. I want to hear your other stuff. stuff. Let's start with your what the fuck and then end on an aww. Okay. Okay. What the fuck? We'll talk (laughs) about two friends who you wouldn't think were friends, but when they met in person, they were people who, I'm going to try and give you this. They didn't like each other. Um, they seem very unlikely. They were polar opposites. One's a businessman, um, who made a fortune out of porn. (laughs) Another one is a conservative reverend preaching moral values. However, um, was one of them involved in your accidental baptism? No. Okay. never mind. (laughs) Uh, but once they met in person, they realized they actually had a lot in common. The porn guy used to be a bootlegger. The reverend's father used to be a bootlegger. Oh, my gosh. They had opposite views when it came to religion and politics, but they had a lot of long philosophical conversations on topics that were sort of unrelated to that. Each man knew what the other person was selling, but they weren't really interested in buying that. So they had that kind of, they just sort of had that understanding that, 
I'm not buying what you're selling. You're not buying what I'm selling. So we've got this middle ground that we can accompany. Um, it was Larry Flint. And ah. well. Wait, wait, wait. Okay, Larry Flint. I was going to guess Larry Flint because I'm like, ooh, who did who did Woody House Jerry Falwell? Jerry Falwell. They Holy visited shit. each other frequently. They exchanged Christmas cards. They had pictures of their family. They shared diet tips. <laughs> they actually became pretty darn good friends. Oh, my gosh. That's so fucking random. Yes. Yes. I love is. that. <laughs> I remember the People versus Larry Flint, the movie with um, Woody Harrelson. Yeah. And for some reason, now that you say that, I can almost remember something about the Falwell connection, but that's fucking hilarious. I love it. Okay, so that's the what the fuckery. Uh, what's the, uh, aww. Okay, let me find one. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh. Um, all right. So the awe, this is one that I think will make everybody feel happy in their hearts. Okay. Everybody feels like women, especially women who are very successful can, are pretty much just competitive and they don't wish each other well. However, which is sad, but somehow sadly true. It is. It can be true. It can be and true. Especially women in the same industry. Way to qualify. Yes. And it's it's sad and it's unnecessary. But Lucille Ball and Carol Burnett became <gasps> amazing friends. Oh. Their shows aired far, far apart. But they met at one of Carol Burnett's off-Broadway shows. And Lucille Ball was in the audience. And when the curtains dropped, she went to the she went to the dressing room to chat with Burnett. And they kind of turned it into like a mentor-mentee sort of relationship. And Carol Burnett said one time, she said, Kid, if you ever need me for anything, you just give me a call. And Lucille Ball gave Carol Burnett her big break by appearing on her show and helping launch her career. And they stayed friends pretty much until Lucille Ball died. So that sort of thing, those type of funny, beautiful, kind women who look out for one another, that's the complete and total shit. That's the kind of thing that I look for in the world. That is fucking amazing. And I'm glad women nowadays are more willing to do that because that is goals. Yeah, sure. Because, holy shit, two of the best comedians in the history of comedy had that relationship. Absolutely. Because one of my favorite things to do in the world is to show John the Brit clips of the old Carol Burnett show. And when the cast was completely and utterly (gasps) cracking each other the fuck up so they couldn't hold a straight face. Best thing ever. I loved, like, some of the episode like the one where tim conway was the dentist (laughs) with harvey corman is trying so hard it was so good oh my gosh i know i loved when i was a kid and watched carol burnett show i loved 
the Scarlett O'Hara sketch. I saw oh it in the Oh my God, that was my favorite one when I was a kid. That was my absolute favorite one where she comes downstairs and she can hardly keep a straight face and Harmony Corman's cracking up. I saw it in the window and I just couldn't resist. I couldn't resist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I love that. And every, anything Mama's Family. Oh, Holy shit. I thought Mama's Family was really funny. Oh, yes. Okay. So huckleberries... <laughs> That's a thing. I mean, what other what other fruit, what other fruits or vegetables or whatever has like friendship associated with it? Um, peas in a pot. Yeah, that's a thing. Corn cobs of death. No, no, no that's not a thing. I, I'm positive. Whatever. I saw, okay, no. I'm no. sure I saw that in a horror movie. Pretty sure that's not a thing. Plus, if it is, it's not like what we would want to go with. Okay. okay All right. So whatever. <laughs> Tonight's topic and drink. Tonight's topic, the drink we drink during each and every episode can eventually be found at alwaysneverwrite.com. If you have something you'd like to hear, let us know by contacting us via one of our zillion social media presences, which you'll find on the contact us page of our website. <laughs> this week has been a, um, a week, right? Oh, it has been such a week. It's been a year, a year's worth of week. This has been uh, so many Tuesdays. <laughs> and, now, and now it's a different week. So yay, yay, different week. Yay. So this has been a You've Got a Friend in Me, I'm Your Huckleberry episode of Always. Never. Right. I'm Jill. And I'm Gina, and thank you so much for making us a part of your week. We'll talk more next week, my dolls. And thank you for joining us on the PopFix Network. Love you all. Bite me, quit giving me that look, because I'm your fucking Huckleberry, and you have to love that. You are my Huckleberry forever. You're my Huckleberry forever. I will huckleberry you. <laughs> <laughs> I will huckleberry you too. <laughs> okay.